I'm sure I probably don't need to tell you, but right at the moment, we're living in a society that socially is incredibly fragmented. Also, relationally, we have been distanced by the pandemic, and this is really affecting everything that we do. Our connections have really been short-circuited in a time like this. Really, if you look around and everything that is happening in society, everything that the media tends to talk about, there is just so much conflict. And the backdrop of this is causing me to think that more than ever, we need to really embrace God's call for unity in the church. Also, CFM, we are a really diverse group of people. Everything to do with our background, everything to do with our passions, everything to do with even our religious flavour in terms of the backgrounds that we have come from as God brought us together as part of this church family, screams diversity. And when there is diversity, there is always going to be a challenge. And therefore, unity is so important in order to really bring the very best of the diversity that God has brought to us in our context here. And really, our diversity, I think, is a treasure, but it can also be a threat. And that's why unity is essential. And very often when it comes to diversity, there tends to be two options. One is just to let everybody just go free and do whatever they want and almost live in a sense of anarchy. Or the other option is to have an authoritarian approach to things. My way or the highway. I really believe there is a third way. I really believe that we don't need to have either anarchy or authoritarianism. Um, even I can't even say this word. Basically, just somebody who rules with a strong hand, trying to put everybody down with an authoritarian approach to things. Well, we don't want that. We want a biblical approach to unity. And this is why we're going to embark on this series, looking at unity and how to live in sync. A picture that God had given me um, at the end of last year, and it kept reoccurring from last year or throughout the beginning of this year, is that of a group of people rowing in a rowing boat. If you think of the Cambridge-Oxford races on the Thames, you, you get the idea. And the importance of what God was saying to me about us as a church being all in sync with one another and being able to row together in order to move forward further and faster. And that's why this is so important. To understand how we can get the most out of being and living and thinking and acting in sync, I think we need to go all the way back to the original design. Very often when there is a flaw in a building project, those who are experts would try to go back to the drawing plans and try to identify why that was there. And I want to make a suggestion that this morning we need to go to step back a little bit in time and look at the original design that God had for relationships, human relationships, and how that got destroyed. So we start in Genesis chapter 3, God created uh, Adam and Eve, and this is what we see uh, as God creates Adam and Eve, the serpent, Satan, comes and tempts Eve to do the one thing that God had asked them not to do, to eat. 
of a particular fruit from a particular tree. And as they do that, Eve eating first and then sort of egging Adam on to do the same thing, you find that sin enters into the world. And here is where we pick up the story in verse 8. That the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But God called the man, saying, where are you? He answered and said, I have heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? So Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Right from the very beginning in Genesis, going back to the original design, God, the creator of the world, creates man and woman. God is relational. In fact, when God creates the world all the way through Genesis 1, God speaks saying, let us make. It's a Trinitarian language. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, all three in one, creating the world and everything that we see all around us and creating mankind. Why? Because God wanted to mirror the relationship between the three in the Trinity with a relationship with mankind. And that's why God created Adam first. And there seemed to be an incompleteness. Something was missing. Guess what it was? Relationship. So he creates Eve as well. So you have a relational God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, creating relationships with Adam and then with Eve and a relationship between Adam and Eve themselves. God is relational. Relationships are on God's agenda. God cares about relationships and God works within those relationships because he wants to have a relationship with Adam and Eve and he wants Adam and Eve to have a relationship with each other. But something comes on the scene and short circuits God's plan, tries to destroy God's plans. That Satan disguised as a serpent and he comes and he tempts Eve. And this is a thing that you'll always see. Satan's purpose is always to destroy relationships. And Satan comes into this relationship trying to destroy Adam and Eve's relationship with God and the vertical. But also we see that there's a breakdown in the relationship between Adam and Eve themselves. That's what Satan does. Jesus says he comes to lie, kill, steal and destroy. Everything about Satan is destructive and relationships are so incredibly high on his agenda. Every relational breakdown that you see around us in the world is caused by this. Going back to the original design, this was never God's plan. The strife and the conflict between mankind in the context of marriage, parents and children, different ethnic groups, different nations, the wars, everything that you see. It's as a result of the same thing that Satan did all the way back to Adam and Eve coming and destroying their relationship with God and with each other. That's Satan's aim to have this double destruction vertical in the relationship with God through disobedience and horizontal through conflict and strife and enmity. And what you see here straight away after the sin, 
Adam and Eve go into hiding. So their relationship with God is broken. Shame comes into their lives and an awareness of their nakedness causes them to run away from God. And that's always been the case. Sin will always cause you to be shame filled. And as a result of that, there is this instinctive running away from God. And that's what Satan wants us to do, to run away from God, to be kept away from God. And the other thing that you see as a result of this is that they begin to drag each other down. So when God challenges Adam and, and asks him about what he's doing, God puts the blame on Eve. And actually, not just on Eve, but on God himself. So it's not my fault that I broke your law, that I ate of the forbidden fruit, but it's her fault. And by the way, she was your gift to me. Therefore, it's her fault and your fault. And I am innocent in this. That's what sin does. Sin makes us even more selfish. And in our selfishness, there is a denial of having done anything wrong and a blame game starts. And you find everybody you can blame to blame. And in this case, he blamed Eve and he blamed God. That's what sin does. Sin is selfish. And selfishness is the root of all of our problems, all our relational problems. If you want to dissect it all the way back, theologically speaking, going back to the original design, the fault is this selfishness induced by sin. And as a result of that, there's the broken relationships all around this. And if you look at every symptom that appears in a broken relationship or in a conflictual relationship, everything is birthed out of pride and selfishness. Whether it's greed, whether it's revenge, whether it's lust, whether it's lies. So sin and selfishness go hand in hand and they are the root cause and the most often found symptom that is displayed in many different ways in broken relationships. But let's see how the story unfolds because Adam and Eve are, are banished from Eden and they have two sons. Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborns of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was very downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the original design gone wrong. And now it's all getting worse. You don't just have Adam blaming Eve and blaming God and not owning to the sin in his life because he's being selfish and his relationship with his wife being broken down. But now their offspring, Cain and Abel, are displaying the same symptoms, but everything gets intensified. There is this downward spiral into evil that is beginning to happen here. Now, 
If you become accustomed to scripture, sibling rivalry amongst brothers is a real theme in the scriptures. You can find it in Genesis in that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Jacob left home so that Esau couldn't kill him. Joseph's brothers intended to kill him and sold him into slavery. This is what's happening here. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this. When sin entered the human race, it gave us dysfunctional and fractured families. And only the Lord could put those families back together. Dysfunctional, fractured families. This is it. Cain and Abel. Cain's name means acquired. Abel's name means breath. Probably almost talking about that sense of the shortness of his life prophetically as his parents named him. See, there is this offering that they both offer to the Lord according to the particular field that they were in. And we don't know. It's a mystery as to why God is displeased with Cain's offer. We don't know. We can speculate. It could have been something to do with his attitude. It could have been something to do with the quality of the offering that he brought before God. We, we don't know. One thing we know for sure, God was displeased with it. And God is realizing that resentment is beginning to build in his heart. So it says that he was angry and his face was downcast. There's this combination of stewing and boiling and also kind of a bit of an Eeyore sort of face. There's the anger and the sadness that he's offering was rejected and he really has that stewing and God wants him God sees it listen don't make any mistakes God sees everything that's within our hearts when we feel like there's a volcano of emotions negative emotions God sees them other people you might we might be able to put on the masks talking about masks we, we can put on a, a metaphorical mask on we can look like happy we can look calm we can look content some of us can't hide it some of us get red and some of us kind of have veins bulging uh, on, on our heads. Some of us shake. Some of us, our voice gets a little bit shaky. Everybody, but, but some people are just really brilliant at disguising the internal turmoil that is there. But God sees it and God speaks to him and God warns it. God, it's almost like God says, yeah, listen, watch out because you're on a slippery slope. But he doesn't pay any attention. And although God explains to him and warns him, he is just angry and jealous that God was pleased with his sacrifice and his brother was better than him. And then the amazing thing is he just calls his brother out into the field, attacks him and kills him. And imagine that you're seeing an enacting of this and it'd be like watching a, a sort of shock thriller in which i mean you, you can we can understand people being angry people being disappointed we can understand sibling rivalry but my word from going from that to taking somebody out in a field and just killing them that's strong that's unexpected that is shocking and you know what's most shocking abel hadn't done anything wrong he doesn't say anything. He doesn't flaunt it. He doesn't boast about it. He doesn't put it on Instagram. Just really letting all his followers know that he's 
offering was more accepted than his brother's. He, he doesn't taunt his brother with it. No, nothing. Simply, innocently, he's attacked. And while some of the emotions seem justified and human, the escalation that you see in there, it's what evil and sin and selfishness does to human relationships. I mean, who, who wouldn't have said, hey, you know, you're fairly entitled, Cain, to be a little bit miffed about this. You're fairly entitled to, to, to be displeased, to be angry, to be frustrated with your brother. How, how does he get that? You're fairly entitled. But you see, when we make those excuses, we fail to realise that actually this was spiralled down. From jealousy, anger, face downcast, into murder, premeditated murder. This was not accidental. This was not one of those, in a rage of emotion, I just reached out to him and just strangled him. No, no, this was premeditated. I'm taking him out in the field and I'm taking him out. That's what sin and selfishness does in human relationships. And again, he probably kidded himself because he probably thought, well, you know, who's going to know about it? And God comes and asks a question. And listen, most of the time when God asks questions, it isn't because he is uninformed. God is omnipresent and omniscient. That means he's everywhere and he knows everything. And Cain was a little bit of a mug thinking that he can get away with it. God asked him a question and maybe in, in, in his foolishness, Cain thought God didn't know the answer. God didn't ask Cain the question because he didn't know what had happened. Because he wanted to give Cain an opportunity to make amends and recognize his guilt, come clean and ask for forgiveness, which, of course, he doesn't do. He carries on in his downward spiral in his relationship by actually being incredibly sarcastic. And arrogant. And that's what sin does to human relationships. It escalates things. There is a downward spiral from jealousy, anger, feelings that we might seem could be justifiable to awful things. Vindictive. Your own flesh and blood. And then the arrogant sarcasm. So what? Not my problem. What have I to do with it? Somebody talking about this said, the more you think about Cain's sin, the more heinous it becomes. The murder wasn't motivated by sudden passion. It was carefully premeditated. Cain didn't kill a stranger in defence. He murdered his own brother out of envy and hatred. Furthermore, Cain did it after being at the altar to worship God and in spite of God's warning and promise. Finally, once the horrible deed was done, Cain took it all very lightly and tried to lie his way out of it. Do you feel the anger and resentment building up within your heart towards Cain and what he did towards Abel? The sense of injustice, unfairness, the, the, the almost senseless crime and murder that should have never happened? Well, look no further than your own heart as I'm looking to my own heart. 
because what has happened between Cain and Abel is something that happens between us all. You see, unity is important because the opposite of unity is disunity. And disunity can be manifested through hatred, through jealousy, through anger, through blame. And we might say, well, that's just spiritual problems, but not really anything that God is interested in. It's just relationships. But they are spiritual problems because the vertical and the horizontal are interlinked. God is the designer of relationships. God is interested in relationships. And whenever our human relationships are affected with each other, our relationship with God is affected. When Cain killed Abel, God cared about it. And this is why unity is so important. This is why it's so important to see the big picture, theologically speaking, so that we're not just talking about Chris is going to try to encourage us in a season where there's a lot of disunity and debates. Are you left wing? Are you right wing? Are you pro this? Are you pro that? Are you against this? Are you against that? It's not just about the opinions. This is at the very core of what God is interested in, human relationships and the relationships between people. This is a big thing. And this is what Satan is going after. And he's going after in society. He's going after in your family. He's going after in your church to destroy relationships. And that's why we need to look at this issue of unity. God is interested. And God is a God who comes to rebuild relationships. God is a God who builds bridges. God is a God who redeems flawed broken and sometimes even absolutely bottom-down relationships and God offers grace God offers second chances through the sacrifice of Jesus God is in the business of reconciliation not just with himself but also with one another that's what the gospel the good news of Jesus does even when you think of the disciples that Jesus gathered them, uh, for himself, you know, some of them were zealous, which are like sort of, you know, real nationalists at the time. Some of them were working hand in hand with the Roman establishment. So those two would have been in loggerheads with each other. And yet they form part of the disciples of Jesus. This is so important. You see, Adam made a mistake. He confessed his shame, but he never confessed his sin. And sometimes we can go as far as confessing our shame, having a feeling of shame and confessing it, but never owning the sin. The two are very much related and we will never be able to get rid of the sin if we don't get rid through a confession. And if we don't get rid of the sin, the shame will never go away. And that's why it's so important to come to God with a sense of real, real repentance and saying, God, fix our relationships. Fill us with your love that flows from the cross of Jesus and help us to love one another in a way that comes way beyond what we are capable as human beings. 
but going back to the original design as you empower us by your Holy Spirit and through the teaching of Scripture. Ravi Zacharias very aptly puts it like this. Evil is not just where blood has been spilled. Evil is in the self-absorbed human heart. You might say, Christy, I've never had any tendencies to kill anybody. I, I, you know, I might have my feelings of displeasure or jealousy or a little bit of anger here and there, but never really wanted to kill anybody. So this isn't applying to me. Well, Jesus is really good at bringing it sort of closer to us because when Jesus talks about conflicts, he teaches us, Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, that anger in the heart is the equivalent of murder. If you call your brother a fool, you've already committed murder in your heart. And what Jesus is doing, he's intensifying the Old Testamental commands, which did forbid a killing, a murder. But Jesus is saying, hey, let me not just look at the physical act of picking up a dagger and stabbing somebody, but let me ask you in your heart and with your tongue, are you killing people? And that's when we're all in this. Let me encourage you to come to him, to look at the cross of Jesus and see God's love manifested for undeserving people and call out to God to say, God, fill me with that love so that my relationships would reflect the same attitude that you displayed when you gave your life sacrificially on the cross. Listen, we live in Adam and Eve's and Cain and Abel's world and we follow in their footsteps. We are not immune from those temptations they faced. But in Jesus, we have somebody who can deal with all those selfish, sinful feelings as we honestly come to him. And we can be renewed from the inside out and filled with his love. And that's my prayer for us as a community of believers, that we would be those people who are not hard hearted. And as much as we would be human in our feelings and our struggles in relationships, we would call out to God to help us to be filled with his love for those around us. There's a beautiful scene right at the very beginning of Le Miserable. When Jean Valjean uh, is caught stealing as he had been shown so much mercy and so much kindness by Monseigneur Bienvenu, he steals all the silverware. And then he's being caught and he's being brought back. And as he's being brought back, he could really face probably the, the end of his freedom and potentially his life. But Monseigneur, the bishop, brings this response to him. Ah, here you are, he says. I'm glad to see you. Well, but how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too, which are for of silver like the rest, and for which you certainly got 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with your forks and spoons? My friend, he tells him, before you go, here are the candlesticks, take them. And then he stepped to the chimney piece, took the silverware candlesticks and brought them to Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean was trembling with every limb. He didn't expect this. He expected to be exposed as a thief and condemned and paid a price. And then the bishop 
draws near to him and says in a low voice, do not forget, never forget that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. And that grace, that forgiveness, that undeserved mercy shown to him causes him to be a changed man. This is what Jesus does to us. This is what he does to me. This is what he can do to you as we come to him and see his love at the cross and we receive his undeserved forgiveness and his grace. He can make us to be those kind of people that because we have been met with grace and with his love, we can offer the same grace and the same love to those around us. Amen.